Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be ready. You may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. And with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for the Lord's people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys have a seat. Thank you, Hunter. Keep me on my toes, man. Expect nothing less. Thank you so much. Um, that passage, uh, I'll say this, man, when I was a young Christian, um, I, I'd been a Christian for some years, but I was, I was still really young in my discipleship and young in learning how to walk out my faith really with uh, zeal and obedience and all those things as a, as a young man, 17, 18 year old. Um, and, I, and I remember hearing this passage um, taught one day and I'd never read it for myself. I'd never really heard about it. Um, but uh, a guy who was actually here at the time, his name was Harrison Huxford. He did a sermon on that passage and uh, the armor of God. And I just remember thinking, man, that is, I, I love the imagery of it. I love the way that Paul puts this about this, this armor that we wear and kind of fighting this fight that God has given us to fight. And it was just a passage that for me as a, as a younger guy that, man, it was such a kind of, a, kind of an awakening moment for me of just thinking, man, there's a, there's a real battle being fought around us all the time. There's a real spiritual war that uh, is happening, whether we know it or not. It makes me think about the story in 2 Kings chapter 6. In 2 Kings chapter 6, there's this guy named Elisha. Elisha is one of the prophets of the Lord. He followed Elijah. Okay, so Elijah was a prophet, and then Elisha became a prophet. And Elisha did amazing things uh, for the Lord all the time, that God would just give him the ability through his spirit to do miraculous things and prophesy and things like that. Well, Elisha was, was receiving from God uh, understanding and information about the king of the Arameans and, and where and when he was going to attack Israel. And so the king of the Arameans was getting kind of worried about this. And he was wondering like, where, where are they getting their information from? How do they know when we're going to attack? And some of his people told him, well, it's Elisha. Elisha's telling them because God's telling him when the Arameans were going to come and attack. So they decide, all right, we're going to take Elisha out. We're going to take him out. And so Elisha's in this place called Dothan, him and his servant, 2 Kings 6, you can go read the story, but um, him and his servant are there in this place called Dothan, and the armies of the Arameans come, and they surround the entire town, like up on the mountains around this town of Dothan, the armies surround them. And one morning, the, the, that morning, the, the servant of Elisha walks out of the house, and he sees surrounding the town, just imagine walking out of your house and surrounding you, thousands of warriors from the Arameans just surrounding them. And the, the servant runs back in the house and he finds Elisha. And he says, Elisha, we're in trouble, man. Like they're here for us. They're coming for us. And he's just like, man, he has this realization. We're, we're in a fight now. 
We're in a fight and, and something bad maybe is about to go down. But man, as I think about this text, I think about for us as Christians that maybe sometimes we just don't really have that kind of realization, right? We don't really have the realization that we're in a real fight, that we're in a real battle every single day. Not a, not a fake battle, not a less important battle than the physical things in this world, but I would say a more real and a more important battle than the things that we struggle with uh, in, in our kind of flesh and blood, the things that we struggle with in the physical world that we see and taste and smell and look at every single day, right? That there's a real war, there's a real battle. And the problem is maybe we don't always understand that or we don't really think about that. And if I'm being honest, we kind of think about this, maybe that's one of the main tactics of our enemy, right? To get us to not believe that we're in a battle. To get us to not believe that all around us, all the time, there is a war being waged. A war for your soul, a war for the soul of those around you, a war for the souls of your children, a war for the souls of your neighbors, a war for the souls of men and women all around this world being waged constantly. The question is simply, are our eyes open to that? Do we see that? Do we understand that? And are we willing then to fight this fight? You can't fight a war that you don't know is happening. You can't. You're useless and you're ineffective if you don't believe that this is going on. uh, Over the years, I know more and more people have even come to not even believe in, in spiritual realities at all. Back in, back in Paul's day, y'all, atheism, not a thing. It didn't exist for these people. That's pretty new, more Western thinking, right? In the last couple hundred years, uh, sort of this enlightenment idea kind of has come into the minds of Western people that we think we're so smart, we think we're so educated that we've kind of gotten beyond all this spiritual stuff. But honestly, I think we've just gotten dumber, Right? And Satan loves it, y'all. Can I, can I just tell you something straight up um, that maybe people are, maybe you don't want to always think about or hear, and maybe a lot of people in this world don't. The devil's real. He is. Demons are real. They are. They're in Scripture. Jesus confronts them all the time. But the better news is our God is real, and our God is sovereign, and he wins. We know this. And so Paul, as he writes this letter to the Ephesians, is just trying to kind of open up their eyes to go, man, there's a real battle being waged. And I just want you to be ready and I want you to be prepared. You don't have to be afraid. You just need to be prepared. You need to be ready for it. We kind of meet the Ephesians for the very first time in the book of Acts. Um, And in the book of Acts, when we see Paul in Ephesus, um, it's Acts, I'm sorry, I don't even, I think it's 18, 19, um, where he goes into the city of Ephesus. And in Ephesus, it's this city that has this great big temple to the goddess of Artemis, the goddess named Artemis in the Greek culture. That's who they worshiped. And in Ephesus, they they worshiped her. And Paul's in there preaching the gospel and he's sharing the gospel. It says, while he's doing that, people are coming to know Jesus and they start to bring out their books of witchcraft. And they start to bring them out and burn them because they knew, man, I want to follow Jesus. I don't want to follow this stuff anymore. So when I'm talking about the people that Paul's writing this letter to, they get it. 
You know what I'm saying? Like they understand the darkness and the spiritual battles that are going on around this. And as Paul is preaching the gospel in Ephesus and, and those people are coming to the Lord and they're burning their books. And then all of a sudden they realize, man, our, like our economy is going to be hurt here because we worship idols. And if people stop worshiping these idols, then like our economy is going to fall apart and our, our money, we're going to lose our money. So the people that made the idols, they start a riot, right? And so like this whole city gets in an uproar and they start rioting because Paul is preaching the gospel and they start shouting, we worship the God of uh, goddess of Artemis, worship goddess of Artemis and all these things. And they're like ca- causing this giant uproar in the city. And Paul and his companions are eventually kind of kicked out and they have to leave the city of Ephesus. So he's writing this letter back to them, back to those people who live in that world, right? And he's helping them understand, man, do y'all get this battle that's going on? It's being waged and we have to be ready and we have to be prepared and we have to be alert about the things that are going on. So they understood it. Right? They got it. So you can imagine what it would be like to be a Christian then in that city where it's hostile and it's dark and it's hard. And then I think about us as Americans today and I think we might be at a disadvantage because we don't necessarily think about this stuff. We don't believe in this. And so maybe we're not prepared, not ready to fight the battles that God is asking us, calling us to fight every single day. And so, as Paul ends up the letter to the Ephesians, this is kind of his final words to them, where he says in verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. And so he kind of emphasizes up front that the battle that we are fighting will be fought absolutely not in your power. Absolutely not in your strength. Absolutely not in your wisdom or your abilities or your skills, your talents, your aptitudes. The battles that we are going to fight in this world. He says, he makes no mistake about this. Put on the full armor of who? Of God, right? Put on the full armor of God. He says, be strong in the Lord, verse 10, and in his mighty power. Whose who's power, whose strength, whose wisdom, whose might are we fighting with and in? Not mine, not yours, God's. And that's good news for us, right? Like be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. What's the mighty power that he's talking about? If, if you have your Bible, if you're looking at Ephesians, go back to chapter one. Look over, look over at Ephesians chapter one because he kind of gives us that, like he opens the book up this way. This is sort of a theme all throughout the letter to the Ephesians. He says this, verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And listen to the words, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. You hear the word might, you hear the word power, same exact idea, right? That power is like his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Whose power 
do we rest in and trust in and celebrate the power of Jesus, the resurrected Savior of all things, who now sits at the right hand of the throne of God and under whom is all authority and power in the entire universe. And so when Paul's talking about standing firm in his power, that's what he's talking about, that every day we wake up and we stand firm in the power of resurrected Jesus as our Lord and Savior, knowing that he's already won. What did Jesus tell his disciples when he sent them out on the Great Commission? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It's mine, right? And so as we fight, we fight knowing that, that he's already won, that he is powerful, that he is sovereign, that he is Lord, that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him already. So we stand firm in his power and in his mighty strength. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. He says, take your stand. Like Paul keeps saying that, take your stand. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we need to know who our enemy is, right? We need to know who we're fighting here. Everybody needs to look right here when I say this. You do not have a human enemy. Not one. Everybody hear me when I say that? You don't have one. You may think you have one. It may feel like you have one. It may feel like you have a lot of human enemies, of people who are, listen, now that doesn't mean people aren't against you at times. That doesn't mean that people aren't attacking you at times. That doesn't mean people aren't saying things again. I'm not saying any of that. All I'm saying is they're not your enemy. Not according to this. He says our struggle is not against them. It's against the spiritual forces of darkness and evil in the heavenly places that Satan is at work in the midst of these things. The things that we can see and the people that we can see and talk to every single day, we are tempted all the time to make them our enemies. And again, that's a tactic of Satan. Because if he can get your mind and your thoughts off of the fact that he's your real enemy, that his temptations, his deceptions are your real enemy, then he can get you thinking about these people being your enemy, then he's already won half the battle in your mind, right? Because that's who we're focused on. We're focused on them. We're focused on those people being our enemies. Guys, we don't fight against anybody in this world. We fight for them. Our, our, our struggle is not against atheists. Our struggle is not against people who don't believe what we believe. Our struggle is not against people who follow other religions. Guess what? Our struggle is for them always that we are fighting so that they would see the glories of Jesus too and come to know him better, right? So as long as we are convinced that our struggle is against people, man, we've already lost half that battle. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against everything that the devil is doing in the background, behind the scenes. And so every day, if we understand this, that we are not, we are not struggling, that word's really like wrestling. We're not grappling. Like we're not struggling with flesh and blood. We're not struggling with earthly people or earthly things. We're struggling against heavenly things, spiritual things. Then guess what? Our armor and our weapons cannot be earthly weapons, Right? They're going to have to be heavenly weapons. We're going to have to have heavenly armor that we wear every single day in order to fight effectively in this battle, in these, in these struggles that we have every single day. And so Paul's just saying, man, one, stand firm in the Lord, resist the devil as his schemes come against you, and know that your enemy is not any person in this world. And then he says, all right, here, here it comes. 
I'm going to give you some armor to put on. I'm going I'm to help you every day as you kind of walk out this fight and what that's going to look like for you. And so he says, verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And I'm going to pause there. I want to show the, the picture of the whole Roman soldier up here. So when Paul is writing this, this little section, he, he begins to turn his attention to this sort of Roman armor. Now, Paul's sitting at the time in house church arrest um, in the city of Rome, writing this letter back to the Ephesians. So he's on, he's on house arrest, right? He's on house arrest, and he's kind of having people over to his house at times. He's kind of doing church with them as he does that. But that's why I call it house church arrest. It's like he's doing church, but he's under arrest, and he's in his house, all these things. But while that's going on, he's probably got a lot of access to these guys. Like these guys are watching him all the time. And so he's writing this letter, probably looking at one of these dudes going, huh, I wonder if I could like use this as an illustration of how we as Christians engage in battle every single day. So he's kind of looking and thinking about these Roman soldiers and the armor that they wear. So he starts with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So go to that next picture. This is a, this is a Roman soldier's belt, something like that. This kind of heavy leather belt that they would wear around. Now the belt was sort of the, 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 the piece of their defense uh, armor that held the other things in place, particularly the breastplate, right? And the sword would go on this belt. The belt was there to sort of cinch up. Also, like if you can kind of see kind of, you know, I know it was manly back then to wear skirts. So they wore skirts and, um, like sort of the belt would, would kind of help cinch that up, right? So the skirt wasn't cumbersome. It wasn't in their way. They could, they could move well and quickly and everything else, their sword, their breastplate could kind of be held in place by what? By that belt. The belt was important, very important, kind of the first piece of armor that they would put on and then latch everything else onto it. And he calls this the belt of truth. Really the word, the Greek word that he uses is more the word truthfulness, the belt of truthfulness. It's really the word sincerity. So this isn't truth kind of capital T talking about scripture. We're going to get there in a second with the sword, but this is the belt of truthfulness. This is the belt of sincerity. And what he means is this, that the very first thing when we talk about engaging in this battle that we have, the first thing we have to admit is who God is and who we are and what battle it is that we're facing, right? We have to lay down all pretense. We have to lay down all, all lies and all deception about what the world is as long as we are gonna walk around like with, with false ideas about ourselves, about God, about the world around us. We cannot be ready to fight. He's saying, put on the belt of sincerity, the belt of honesty, just be honest about who you are. Be honest about the fight that you're in. Be honest about who God is and be honest about what it is that you need from him. Be humble, right? I think that's a great way to think about this belt is humility. Just going, man, before I do anything, I'm just confessing that I'm not the real fighter here. God is, right? God is the one who has won the victory. God is the one that I need and I'm fighting the spiritual. It's just, it's just honesty, right? It's sincerity. You cannot fight if you cannot be sincere and honest about the battle that you're in right now. So he says, let's start there. Let's start with the belt of truthfulness. And then he says, put the breastplate of righteousness in place. With the breastplate of righteousness. So the breastplate would look something like this. It would be very thick leather or sometimes a very thin kind of hammered out uh, metal of some sort that they would wear on their chest. Now, of course, if you know, uh, kind of looking at this, what would the breastplate's main function be? To protect what? 
your heart, your vital organs, right? Of course, the breastplate. Um, Modern-day soldiers wear, you know, a, a flak jacket or a bulletproof vest of some sort, right? So breastplate of righteousness is what Paul calls this. And that, man, it just kind of makes you think, why did he use righteousness for the breastplate? We think about protecting the heart, protecting the vital organs in here. Why would it be righteousness that Paul names as the breastplate? One of the many schemes of the devil is to tempt us to believe that our righteousness is based on our goodness, our works, our abilities, our strength. And the reality is, if that's true of you, that you try to sort of gain a righteousness of your own on your own merits and abilities, you're wearing nothing but paper mache on your chest if it's about you and what you can do. And so he calls it the breastplate of righteousness. Why? Because righteousness is a gift given to us by the righteousness of Jesus, that through faith in him and his blood, his death, his resurrection, that you and I are made right with God. And that is a firm and secure reality that cannot be moved and cannot be taken away from us. That is a sure guard against your against the schemes of the devil coming to attack your heart that if he wants to convince you if he wants to tell you that you are not right with God that you can like talk right back to him and say you know what I'm not wearing my own righteousness on my chest you can come at my heart all you want to but it's not me that you have to get through it's Jesus that you would have to get through to get here right and when Paul is saying man that's a breastplate of righteousness that is impenetrable by the enemy he can't get through this Not if you're wearing the righteousness of Christ Jesus, knowing that you are saved by the cross and by the resurrection of Christ. And then he says, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, I I love this one. This is kind of my favorite one. Uh, The Roman soldiers would wear these kind of shoes, sort of like little cleats, modern day uh, cleat sandals, right? And they 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 were like kind of designed to help the Roman soldier be and go wherever they needed to. Right? They were kind of all-terrain shoes, right? And so they were able to both stand firm and go anywhere they needed. So think stand and think move, right? That's what these shoes were designed for. They were both comfortable, kind of that leather comfort that would give them that, but they would also kind of have the grips to be able to go on all-terrains, rocks, flat ground, wherever they needed to be, whatever they needed to do. The Romans were brilliant in their sort of ingenuity in these, in these things. And so Paul says, let that be the readiness of the gospel of peace, And man, I just love this thought that when Paul's talking about like our feet being fit with the readiness of the gospel of peace, he's just saying, man, listen, for us, as we fight these battles, understand this all the time, that there is a mission, a real mission ahead of us. There's a mission and it involves the gospel of Jesus Christ that we would be people who stand firm in it, like in the truth of the gospel of Christ and what it is and what it means for us, but also what? Ready to go and ready to move and ready to advance all the time and take new ground for the kingdom, right? If if we don't kind of have this mindset all the time that I'm both standing in the gospel and going in the gospel, then man, we're not even engaged in the battle at all. Like, this is what he's calling us to do, to, yes, stand firm, but also to go forward and take the gospel to new places. Scripture says, uh, beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, right? Beautiful are the feet of those who have the gospel and go share it. The, The devil would love it if you and I walked out of our doors every single day without gospel shoes on our feet. He would love that. 
without our feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Because then we're walking out the door with no purpose, no mission, not ready to go where Jesus sends us to share the good news that he's given us to share. So he says, let your feet be fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And then he says, take up the shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith. Now, Astute readers uh, might notice something kind of interesting as Paul describes this Roman armor. And I've heard people say this uh, many times as we discuss this kind of passage. And as you, as you kind of look at the, the Roman soldier and think about that, that Paul never describes uh, anything on the soldier's back, right? It's his front, it's his head, it's his feet, and all those things. But he never really describes anything on the soldier's back. But he does say here, take up the shield, and he says the shield of faith. Um, let's, let's look at this next picture. So the, the Roman shield is usually this kind of large shield, two, two to three feet wide, four feet long, something like that. And it was kind of cumbersome, kind of difficult to maneuver. It was definitely good for defense, but it was really made to not just defend the person who carried it. Do you understand this? That the Roman shield was made to do this, that they would create this thing called a phalanx, right? And they would move in formation like that. And Paul says, with this shield, what can we do? We can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. You guys have probably seen these kind of war movies, these old movies, whatever they are, where people are shooting flaming arrows at these soldiers. And what do they do? They cover themselves, but also what? They cover the person in front of them and they cover the person beside them with their shield. And Paul says, take up the shield of what? Of faith. And I think that's so interesting when he says that the shield is our faith, because what I really think he's getting at here is this, that the faith that we possess, the faith that you and I possess in Christ Jesus, listen, it's not just for you. Your faith is not just for you. Y'all, faith is a team sport. Faith is about you and I together as the family of God, walking out the faith that we have in Christ together. I've said this so many times from this stage that the New Testament, when it's talking to the church, it's not written in I's and me's, it's written in us's and we's. It's all written about plural people, right? Together, doing the work, fighting the fight together. And so these Roman soldiers knew, I got my shield, but it's not just for me. It's for the person beside me and it's for the person in front of me to protect them question, who's got your back in this fight? Who's got your back as you fight the fight of faith, as you walk out these commands of Jesus to live in this world, to share the gospel, to love your neighbors, to stand firm against the devil and his schemes? Who's got your back and whose back do you have? Both of those questions matter. I, yes, I hear people say all the time, man, I don't need to go to church or be involved in church to be a Christian. And you know, that's probably true. I mean, you can put your faith in Jesus and not be in a church. It's, that, that's true. But it's also like a soldier saying, man, I don't need this to be a soldier. Yeah, you can be a soldier for five minutes, but then flaming arrows are coming, right? And these guys got each other. And what do you have? And you might have your shield and you can try, but I'm just saying, all I'm saying is, y'all, faith is a team sport. We are made for community. Faith is about community. It's about doing this together. Stay connected. Listen, some of you, uh, maybe this semester, you weren't able to get into a growth group. We're going to start that back up in the fall. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to like lean into that and we're going to lean back in in a couple months, but get into a group of people. Be in a group of people where you can fight together all the time, where you can have each other's backs. 
right? Where you can join arm in arm, hand in hand, walking together out the faith that God has called you to live in. It's so much better when we do that together. If you've experienced that, would you just say amen with me? It's so much better, right, when we do it together. And he says, take the helmet of salvation. So the the shield of faith. And he says, take the helmet of salvation. This helmet, um, so let's go to the helmet of salvation. A couple couple ones after that. This helmet um, would be a a piece of armor kind of perfectly fitted um, to each soldier to protect their head, obviously. And I, I just think about this when I think about the helmet of salvation, why he says salvation here. Because is this not true? That maybe the biggest battlefield that a lot of us fight in every single day is right there. Right? It's right here. And he already said, man, we're standing firm against the devil's schemes. Schemes, right? He's a schemer. It's a scheme. That's what the Joker says in The Dark Knight. I'm a schemer, right? Like the devil's just a schemer. He just likes to come up with plans. He just, I, I, I kind of describe, he's like a dog on a leash, just barking. He's barking, but he's scheming. He's not stupid, but he ain't sovereign, right? But he's not stupid. He knows how to get in your mind. He knows how to get in your thoughts. But Paul says, man, put on this helmet of salvation. When he says helmet of salvation, salvation, y'all, when you think about salvation, think about this, kind of all the things, all the things that God has given us, all the things that he has granted us in Christ Jesus. If you want the helmet of salvation, go read Ephesians chapter one. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's mercy that he lavished on us with all wisdom, right? So like what Paul's doing is he opens up this letter of Ephesians. He's going, let me give you a helmet. I want you to know all these things, right? The things that we know about who we are and who God is. Y'all, we sang earlier, I am who you say I am. We were putting on a helmet. That's what we're doing, right? So when it comes down to this fight, we got to know who is God and who am I in God. And all the lies that Satan throws at you every day to tell you something other than those truths, you say, no, that's not who he is. That's not who I am. I know who I am because the word tells me who I am. And I can go forward fighting with this helmet on my head. And I'm not believing the lies. I'm not believing the lies that Satan throws at me. And so in that in that vein, we got to know what the truth of God's word is, right? If we're going to be able to wear that helmet, if we're going to be able to put on that breastplate of righteousness or walk with our feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace or take that shield of faith, we have to know what is the actual truth about what God's word says about all these things. If I'm going to fight, I need that. And so he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Um, This is a Roman gladius, the Roman short sword. This one belongs to Cameron Moore, uh, Pastor Scott Moore's son. He loves this sword, and he, uh, I asked him if I could use it. He's been wanting to use it in a sermon, but I was like, man, I'm using it first. Um, (laughs) It's super cool. The Roman short sword. Um, This sword's interesting, right? And this is the sword that Paul's talking about when he says, the word of God, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 
when, when, when opposing armies would look at this sword, uh, you can imagine like back in that time in the BCs, early ADs, mostly what they were fighting were barbarian hordes, right? And these people were coming out with like giant swords, swords that were like the William Wallace kind of swords. You know what I mean? Like those kind of massive, like six foot long swords. And they got these not like big old dudes wielding these two-handed swords coming at the Roman army like this. And they got these little Roman soldiers like holding these little daggers, right? And you got to imagine these other armies were looking at them going, man, like, what are you going to do with that little pig sticker? You ain't going to do nothing with that, right? That's nothing. You can't do anything with this. And yet, you know what this sword became called over the centuries? The gladius. It became called the sword that conquered the world. This sword. Why? One, double-edged, sharp as a razor. Two, easy to wield, easy to maneuver. One hand, got a free hand to do what I need to do with that hand, got another hand. And three, like if you were good at hand-to-hand combat, right, you had to get in close. And so if a Roman soldier could get in close to the other guy, he had the advantage because that guy had a giant sword that he couldn't do anything with. And the Roman soldiers would just get up on him with those shoes, able to stand firm with that breastplate, with that helmet, and they would just get up on him and, and, and wreak havoc on the enemy, the sword that conquered the world. What's interesting about the Roman gladius is this. You had to be, it was dangerous, but you had to be brave enough to wield it. You couldn't be a coward and fight with that sword because you were going to be this close. So here's what I wonder. Is there anybody here brave enough to wield that sword every day of your life, to wield this sword the sword of the spirit, the word of God in a world that looks at this and says, that's nothing, that's small, that's weak, that's ineffective, that can't do, that can't change anything. Is there anybody here who'd be willing and brave enough to say, I'm going to wield this weapon in my fight every single day. Think about the things that you will leave home with and never forget. Will you leave home without your phone? Will you leave home without your wallet? Will you leave home without your key? You can't leave home without your keys. There's a lot of things you'll leave home making sure that you have. Do you leave home with a sword every day, having like made sure that you have spent time with the holy God of the universe for him to speak into your life, for him to arm you up so that you could then go out wielding this? Think about Jesus in Luke chapter four. He gets met by the devil, having temptation, Upon temptation, fasting in the desert. And what does he do? Again and again and again, what does Jesus do? He wields that sword. Satan comes at him with temptation. Jesus quotes scripture right back at him. He knows the truth and he's able to wield that against him. This is the sword of the spirit. And then he ends by saying this. And it's kind of a surprising ending, right? If you really think about the way that Paul ends this, uh, Paul ends this, this section here. So he's told us to kind of put on all this armor, to, to arm ourselves up with the breastplate and the feet and the, the helmet and the shield and the sword and all these things. And then he gets to this part and you would expect him at the very end of this to say, okay, now you've got your armor on. Now I want you to fight. But here's what he says. Pray. pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all 
the saints. Pray. It's prayer. And I think maybe the reason that Paul ends this section this way, this whole list of armor, this whole think about fighting and standing firm and coming against the devil's schemes and all the things that we're doing. And he doesn't say fight, he says pray. And I think the reason he says that is this, is this reason because prayer is the fight. Prayer's the fight. Church, prayer is not merely a way to fight. It's the fight. It's really the whole point of wearing the armor. Like that's what Paul's getting at here. We put on that helmet. We hold that shield. We wear those shoes. We have that breastplate. We wield this sword so that our prayers are powerful and effective so that we know how to pray, so that we know what to pray, so that we know when to pray, so that our eyes are open to all the reality of the spiritual things around us and we have the wherewithal in our minds to stand firm and to pray and to pray. He says pray all the time with all kinds of prayers and requests and with this in mind, be alert and keep on praying for all the saints, praying for each other. Pray. And so if Satan can keep you from praying, guess what? He can keep you from fighting. And you're going to be like a person that's got all this gear on, got all this armor on, and you just sit on the bench doing nothing, being weak and being ineffective, not getting in the game, not getting in the fight, because prayer is the fight. That doesn't mean we just sit down and we close our eyes and we do nothing, but prayer as in a lifestyle of prayer. Yes, sometimes it looks like that, but sometimes it's praying as we go with those shoes on our feet, praying with that shield, praying with that helmet, praying always with this sword. Guys, if you don't know God's word, I promise you this, you're not gonna really know how to pray very well. This helps. You wanna know a place to start? Start with this passage. You don't know how to pray? Pray through the armor of God. Pray that today. Jesus taught us how to pray in Matthew 6. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray through the Ten Commandments. Pray through Psalm 119. Pray the Scriptures. Pray the truth. And fight, fight in prayer. And so Elisha and his servant, they're there in that town, and the servant sees the armies of the Arameans all around them, right? And he runs back into Elisha. He's like, Elisha! The, 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 the armies of Aram are here. Like, I don't know, know what we're going to do. We're outnumbered. We're going to die. They're going to come and get us. And Elisha says this to him. He says, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And then he says, oh, Lord, open his eyes so that he can see. And it says right then the eyes of the servant were open and he looked out and he saw surrounding those who were surrounding them were the armies of God, chariots of fire and angels everywhere ready to fight the battle for them. Because Elisha knew what was needed in that moment when they were surrounded on all sides was not more people. It was more prayer. That's what was needed. That was the fight. And he prays and they see their eyes are opened 
Again, that's how Paul opened up Ephesians. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So we're going to be a people that praise. Let's armor up and let's praise. Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to finish up our time today with a song. And it really is a song about prayer, sort of the Lord's prayer in a song. And I want to invite you guys to pray. Um, If you're on the prayer team and you want to come down, you can be down here. And we'd love for you to come down and pray. If you need someone to pray with you, if not, you can pray right where you're at. You can just come and kneel and pray. But let's be a church that prays. Can we be that? Because I want us to be a church that fights, fights for one another and fights for this world and this community in the name of Jesus Christ, for the gospel message and the mission that God has given us. And we have to be, if we're going to be a people that, that does that, we need to be a people that prays. Let's pray. Armored up in God, ready and willing to pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Let's pray.